Welcome to Sparky on Ice, the coldest podcast on the internet. Today is November 9th, and I've been on ice for 88 days. Welcome back, everyone. Yes, it's been a long time since my last episode, and I do apologize for that. But things can get a little crazy around here sometimes, and with being in level yellow, my energy level was just way down. But I'm back and ready to make some more shows and videos. I did get my new microphones, and I think they sound pretty good. Uh... I'm ready to do interviews because they are an interview set. I've already got some interest from a few people to come on the show. So look for those to come out in the near future. And they'll likely come out as individual parts. I'll probably name it something like Breaking the Ice or something easy. I also got a new selfie stick, so I'll be able to make more regular videos about things on station again. My last one's broken and work right. I am setting up some new tours of some of the lesser known parts of the station. So... So what has happened in the last month? It seems like so much yet so little. We were stuck in yellow pretty much all of October, except for a 24-hour period in the middle, and that was a real boost to the community morale. Just one day of mask and no occupancy restrictions made all the difference going into the last two weeks of yellow. A lot of folks on station are new and didn't know what it could be like, and I think it kept some of them from leaving. But it had to end, and we went back to yellow. And this time it was actually worse. I talked last episode about the second serving line we had to work on well it finally got some use in the last week of october and man was it frustrating there was no eating in the galley at all and people had to find other places to eat most people don't really have a good place except you know in their rooms or maybe where they work so they had to make do with what was available and that meant lounges and bars but we also had occupancy limits on those as well so only a few people could use them at a time and most people apparently just ended up eating on their beds, which really, really sucks. The carryout containers were a pain as well. They were being handled differently than our other wastes, so we couldn't put them into the landfill or food waste. There were special bins outside the dorms for them. Most people would use those bins, but some would just fill up the trash centers. And being an RA, I took on the task of sorting them out and taking them to the correct bin, sometimes twice a day. I guess that is a small price to pay for getting my own room. And finally, this week, yellow ended. At 5 p.m. Wednesday, the mask came off and we were free for almost a full month. And that night was a trivia night. I hosted with a friend and our theme was colors. So I found as many rainbow and color memes as I could throw in for fun. One was the double rainbow, rainbow guy and the other uh, was the original Nyan Cat video. I think it went over really well. had a lot of people telling me how much fun it was. I do have two other hosts that are ready to go for the next couple so i don't have to do as much work on those which is good and this week was also huge because of the town halloween party this is a huge deal every year since it is the first big party of the summer Uh, it takes place in the big gym and supply does pretty much all the hosting they do almost all the decorations and i am the av person for rec this year so i do all the sound system setup for most of the events this year and i really like doing that I get to use my skills and make things sound really good. Set the speakers right, make sure you got the right reverb coming back. and It's it's really nice. I like doing it. And I actually dressed up this year. I spent hours creating a mobile DJ booth 
that went along with a mask I found in Skua. It was a, a skeleton-like mask, and I went as DJ Death. I used a tablet to display the laptop I had in my backpack doing all the mixing. I played a remix of Put a Spell on You, uh, Spooky Scary Skeletons, Off With Your Head, and Ghostbusters. I got a lot of good comments about it. Uh, most people thought it was a cool way to use equipment. Some people actually thought it was fake until I actually did a mix right there in front of them. I didn't win any contest, but I got to help lead the parade since I had the music. Oh, and the po costumes were pretty good also. One couple came as Wayne and Garth from Wayne's World. That's pretty inventive. We had several penguins, a Godzilla, uh, and quite a few based on the new carryout containers. Those were rather entertaining. One of the most entertaining ones was the ob tube, which is actually um, the observation tube, which is a thing they do every once in a while. They have this basically submarine-like thing that goes down under the ice, and you can climb in, and it's got glass, and you can see out into the water, which is really neat because sometimes the tivers are down there. Um, I haven't been down, and I don't think I'll go down. The ob tube is a little small for me. I, I think I get claustrophobic down there. It would be really cool, but I don't think I can go this year. Maybe next year. But back to the party. Uh, the music was really good. Sadly, I didn't DJ this one. I did do a lot of dancing, which was new for me. I've never really danced in public before, so it was interesting. So, uh, yeah, I'll do it again. I'll learn how to dance better because, you know, I did the typical old white man dance, but we'll see how it goes. And the mass casualty team has started up again. I'm doing the same thing I've done every season, and that's working with the medical team. I do like the new doctor. She seems very nice. I'm hoping to learn some new stuff from her this year that I can use in the future. I also started working in the station store. It's only a couple hours a week, but I really like the community interaction I get from it. I put a bunch of pictures from the store on the video version of this episode. Work has been really demanding as well. I got a huge project dropped on us that I didn't think we were doing this season, but suddenly it became a priority. It is for a communication dish up on one of the hills that's supposed to improve our internet. Really hope it does, because our internet is pretty bad here. And we should have Williams Field all set up by the next episode. Things have gone pretty much back to normal. Uh, we will have one more stretch of yellow, only about two weeks if the planes are working right. Uh, it has been such a bad year for the planes. The C-17 kept breaking and we had terrible weather for a solid week. And this has been a really strange season. We have more people than last year, but less than a normal year. The vibe is still good. I mean, we've only been in green for about a week with main body, but I think people are, are starting to settle into their their groove and getting their, uh, their, I guess, their clicks together. And so that's already starting to go well for most people. Um, I tend to eat uh, alone in, in the galley and just read a book because that's just my style. But it's all good. Things are going along well. Uh, this week we also had our first science lecture. This one was about the magnetosphere and the solar eclipse on December 4th. And I'm really excited for that. It will be uh, a full, almost total eclipse here. I think they said something like 80%, and they are going to be studying the effect uh, eclipses have on the magnetosphere and how it can change the intensity of it because it blocks a lot of the um, radiation and stuff from the sun. It, it was a lot of stuff that was really over my head, but it was really interesting to learn about that stuff and how our magnetospheres are connected. Apparently, they have these uh, gravitrometers or something buried way out in the ice and they are 
on the exact magnetic lines as some up in Greenland. So apparently they can use those to determine the fluctuations based on tiny little variations of gravity, which is really cool. Um, that is a really neat thing we get down here as a science lectures. Uh, I plan on going to as many of those as I can. I also restarted my radio show down here. Now that we're in green, I can do it again. And this week I did, um, so the show's called the Grand Cold Opry, and I play old vinyls of uh, bluegrass in old country. And I am doing the uh, ladies of country right now, and I did Kitty Wells as the first one because she's considered the, uh, the the queen of country music. She was one of the first ones to make it really big. I had some people that listened and said it was pretty good. I gave a little information on Kitty Wells, so it was kind of neat. Other than that, things are progressing pretty well. Uh, I've been really stressed out lately with the project stuff getting thrown at me. I'm hoping that's going to calm down here in the next couple weeks once I get Williams Field set up and some of these projects out of the way. Um, my team is amazing. They're, they're really good electricians, and um, I, I think we're going to do okay this season, even with all the, the extra pressure and stuff put on us this year. But yeah, it, it's going to be a good year. I can feel it. Anyway, that's all I've got for this section. I think we'll move on to history. When I last did history, we had just left Shackleton and his men who had just landed on South Georgia Island, and uh, we'll pick up from there. There was still a major obstacle to overcome. The crew of six on the James Card had landed 22 miles from the Stromness Welling Station as the crow flies. In order to get there, they had to go across the backbone of the mountains that ran the length of South Georgia, a journey that no one had ever managed. The map depicted the area as blank. McNeish and Vincent were too weak to attempt a journey, so Shackleton left them with McCarthy to care for. On May 15th, Shackleton, Crean, and Worsley set out to cross the mountains to reach the whaling station. They crossed glaciers, icy slopes, snowfields. At a height of about 4,500 feet, they looked back and saw the fog closing up behind them. Night was falling, and with no tent or sleeping bags, they had to descend to a lower altitude. They slid down a snowy slope in a matter of minutes, losing about 900 feet in the process. They had a hot meal with two of them, sheltering the cooker from the wind. Darkness fell, and they carried on walking. Soon, a full moon appeared lighting their way. They climbed again and ate another hot meal to renew their energy. They were able to soon make out an island in the distance that they recognized, but realized that they had taken the wrong direction and had to retrace their steps. At 5 a.m., they sat down exhausted beside a large rock, wrapping their arms around each other to keep warm. Worsley and Crean fell asleep, but Shackleton realized if they all did so, they may never wake again. He woke them five minutes later, told them they'd been asleep for half a day, and once again they set off. There was now but one ridge of jagged peaks between them and Stromness. They found a, a gap and went through. At 6.30 a.m., Shackleton was standing on the ridge. He had climbed to get a better look at the land below. He thought he heard the sound of a steam whistle calling the men of the whaling station from their beds. He went back to Worsley and Crean and told them to watch for 7 o'clock, as this would be when the whalers were called to work. Soon enough, the whistle sounded right on time. The three men must have never heard a more welcome sound. The three walked downwards to the 2,000 feet above sea level. They came across a gradient steep ice two hours later. They had cut steps and roped down another 500 feet, and a slide down a slippery slope placed some 1,500 feet above sea level on a plateau. They still had some distance to go before they reached the whaling station. The going was still less than easy, and they had some climbing to negotiate the ridges between them and their goal. Boys, this snow slope seems to end in a precipice 
but perhaps there is no precipice. If we don't go down, we shall have to make a detour of at least five miles before we reach level going. What shall it be? Try, Try the, the slope. slope. At 1.30 p.m., they climbed the final ridge and saw a small whaling boat entering the bay 2,500 feet below. They hurried forward and spotted a sailing ship lying at the wharf. Tiny figures could be seen wandering about, and then whaling factory was sighted. The men paused, shook hands, and congratulated each other on accomplishing their heroic journey. The only possible way down seemed to be along a stream flowing to the sea below. They went down through the icy water, wet to their waist, shivering, cold, and tired. Then they heard the unwelcome sounds of a waterfall. The stream went over a 30-foot fall with impassable ice cliffs on both sides. They were too tired to look for another way down, so they agreed the only way down was through the waterfall itself. They fastened a rope around a rock and slowly lowered Crane, the heaviest, into the waterfall. He completely disappeared and came out the bottom gasping for air. Shackleton went next and Wordsley, most nimble member of the party, went last. They had dropped the log book, the ads, cooker, before going over the edge. Once on solid ground, the items were retrieved. The only items brought out of the Antarctic. We'd entered a year and a half before with a well-found ship full of equipment and high hopes. We'd suffered, starved, and triumphed. Groveled down yet grasped at glory. Grown bigger with the bigness of the whole. We had seen God in his splendors, heard the text that nature renders. We have reached the naked soul of man. The whaling station was now a mile and a half away. They tried to smarten themselves up a little more before entering the station, but their beards were long, their hair was matted, their clothes tattered and stained as they hadn't been washed in nearly a year. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon on May 20th, 1916, they walked into the outskirts of Stromness whaling station. As they approached the station, two small boys met them. Shackleton asked them where the manager's house was, and they didn't answer. They just turned and ran from them as fast as they could. They came to a wharf where the man in charge was asked if Mr. Sorrell, the manager, was in the house. Mr. Sorrell came out and said, Well, and Shackleton said, Do you know me? I know your voice, he replied doubtfully. You're the mate of the Daisy. The Daisy was the last American open boat whalers that had visited South Georgia night 13. My name is Shackleton. Immediately he put out his hands and said, Come in, come in. They washed, shaved, ate, and slept. Worsley boarded a whaler and went to rescue the three left on the other side of South Georgia at King Hawken Bay, sheltering under the upturned James Card. During the rescue, a storm blew up that had it come the day previously would have spelled disaster for the three men crossing the Stromness, and consequently the whole of the crew, those on the wrong side of South Georgia and all those on Elephant Island. Shackleton remained at Stromness and prepared plans for rescue of the men on Elephant Island. Shackleton, Wurlesley, and Crean left on the British whale catcher Southern Sky that had been laid up for winter on the 23rd of May. They were bound for Elephant Island, hoping to rescue the 22 left there. Later, Shackleton was to write to a friend. When we got to the whaling station, it was the thought of all the comrades that made us so mad with joy. We didn't feel so much safe as they would be saved. Sixty miles from the island, the pack ice forced them to retreat to the Falkland Islands, whereupon a Uruguayan government loaned Shackleton a trawler, but once again, the ice turned them away. Then they went to Puerto Rinas in southern Chile, where British and Chilean residents donated 1,500 pounds to Shackleton in order to charter a schooner Emma. 100 miles north of Elephant Island, the auxiliary engine broke down, and thus the fourth attempt would be necessary. The Chilean government loaned them a steam tug under the command of Captain Luis Alberto Pardo to Shackleton. As the steamer approached Elephant Island, the men on the island were approaching lunchtime. It was August 30th, 1916, when Marson spotted the tug in an opening in the mist. He yelled, Ship Ho, but the men thought he was announcing lunch. A few minutes later, the men inside the hut heard him running forward, shouting, 
Wild, there's a ship. Hadn't we better light the flare? As they scrambled for the door, those bringing up the rear tore down the canvas walls. Wild put a hole in their last of their tin fuel, soaked clothes in it, and walked to the end of the spit and set them afire. A boat soon approached close enough for Shackleton, who was standing on the bow to shout to Wild, Are you all well? And Wild replied, All safe, all well. And the boss replied, Thank God. Black Burrow, since he couldn't walk, was carried to a high rock and propped up in his sleeping bag so he could view the scene. Frank Wilde invited Shackleton ashore to see how they had lived on the island, but he declined, being keen to be on their way as soon as possible in the light of previous failed attempts to reach the men due to ice conditions. Within the hour, they were headed north to the world from which they had no news since October 1914. They survived on Elephant Island for 137 days, and it was 128 days since Shackleton had left for South Georgia with a small crew on the James Card. Not a single man of Shackleton's original 28 was lost, and though the endurance was lost to sea, the James Card was brought back to England and survives to this day in Dulwich College, London. A living reminder of the act of remarkable courage in the heroic age of exploration. The James Card Society, an official charitable organization honoring the memory of Shackleton. That is the end of this part of history. Next time I will cover the Ross Sea Party, which is supposed to be the release ship for Shackleton when he made his trans-Antarctic journey. And that's going to be it for the episode this week. I'll uh, try and get to you guys again in two weeks. Or maybe more, maybe less. We'll see. If you have any questions, you can contact me on Twitter or Facebook at SparkyOnIce or an email podcast at SparkyOnIce.xyz. The music used in this podcast is Cold Winter Blues by Lucille Hegeman and the Dixie Daisies and is used under public domain.